0: This is Season 1, Episode 6 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. The episode tonight The Selfish Rogue, or I'm just playing my character. Mastering the RPG. As I said, it's a tabletop RPG podcast focusing on maximizing your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master, doesn't matter if you're a player. We got advice, ideas, cool stuff we find, and some pretty strong opinions. I'm Carl, and I'm here with my co hosts, Eric and James. And you can find Hello. information at uh, masteringtherpg.com. That's one word. And if you have feedback, questions, or you want us to adjudicate, arguments, we don't care. Um, You can contact us at GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. Again, both of those are one word. Hey, guys, great to see you, hear from you again. Hi, Carl, how's it going? Going fantastic, fantastic. How about you, Eric, how you doing? I am doing
1: uh, adequate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Slightly above adequate, we'll say. (laughs) Middling. Yeah, well, yeah, a, a, a happy middling so kind Now of, that I'm here with you guys, it's better So let's, So kind of at yeah. a plus
0: one on your D20 I'm kind of at a plus That's three right. on D20 sort of thing and Yeah Alright, there you go, there you go Alright, so hey, tonight we've got um, kind of our regular thing we have right now um, The cool stuff found And I'm going to take that one on myself cool stuff. cool stuff We have cool stuff found Do you copy? Cool stuff found. Over. All right, so what do I have tonight? Tonight I have a brand new book that just got released July 18th, 2022, called Slaying the Dragon The Secret History of Dungeons and Dragons, and it's a by a gentleman called Ben Riggs. And he is a self-proclaimed RPG historian. He's done a lot of research, um, talked to a lot of the key players. He also has a podcast called Plot Points, where he talks about role-playing games as a important societal um, and pop culture—not just um, you know games, but that they have an important impact on on people. And in, and in those podcasts, he also had some very long, detailed um, discussions with some of the folks who were in this book. Um, so pretty cool. It's already number one uh, new release on the pop culture uh, site, and it's early release wow. in, uh, I think, 18th, 19th, 20th. Um, you'll hear this a little later than that, but by then it probably still be doing very well. Um so, what's this book about it's It's a little bit different than just a generic history of Dungeons and Dragons where it's like, well, here's how the game was created. Gary did this, Arneson did this, they argued you know so this is what came out of the Minneapolis group and blah 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 it's it has some of that, but it also talks a lot about the business and the culture of t s r and its rise um and its fall uh to the point where it was sold to Wizard of the coast um and He's really done the research. I mean, he's talked to the key players from back in a TSR day. I mean, we're talking people like Peter Atkinson, Margaret Weiss, Monty Cook, Zeb Cook, Ed Greenwood, Jeff Grubb, and then a whole bunch of people from the business side of it, Um, you know, uh, development guys, managers, um, never – was able to talk to Lorraine. She declined comment, apparently. But um, a lot of the key players there, and so it's a really good read. I've just got the book, and so I'm I'm starting to read through it. That was kind of a joke we had that I'm going to talk about a book I haven't read. So I, I went through it somewhat. I <laughs> I got uh, I got into it, and it's I, fortunately I've heard Ben talk. Uh, go through some early chapters at Gen Con. So he's done panels there. And uh, so that's why I pre-ordered it because it was pretty cool. So I'll give you an example of kind of what makes this book interesting and different. Um, So uh, around page 35, we've got the chapter TSR's near-death experience. Now this is in 1982. So remember uh, TSR kind of failed more in the 90s when they bought by Wizard of Coast, but they had an early scare with um, uh, kind of falling um, from a business standpoint. Remember when AD&D hit hit its heights and people all had the books, and so suddenly sales started dropping off. So let me read kind of an excerpt here. After years of stunning success, the company was about to fall and hard, but you wouldn't know it from the coverage the company received in the mainstream press. In the winter of 1982, Inc. magazine proclaimed TSR of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, the 6th fastest growing privately-held company, Now, I'll skip ahead a little bit, but that was like little papers. This was, you know, the big guys talking about um, giving them recognition, validation, all that sort of thing. So then the article, I'll continue, the article cooed over the company and its managers, quote, business is a game to the managers of TSR and they keep winning, unquote. Uh, That was wrote by Stuart Alsop II. Um, The chief operating officer, Kevin Bloom, Bragged that gamers were simply, quote, intuitively good businessmen, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> <laughs> Gygax himself theorized game, th- g- uh, sorry, g- Gygax theorized game. gaming taught the company's employees, quote, to analyze and cooperate, unquote. Huh. And they were such good businessmen that they, quote, never had a major failure, unquote. Anyway, it goes on. On from there, but this is the kind of interesting. This is the kind of stuff that Ben talks about. Um, I don't want to give away more of that, um, but that's the beginning of the chapter. So it, it really, it really provides, um, and hearing him at Gen Con, it really provides a complete, utter insight into the rise and fall of this early game company beyond you know the. You know, there was like, uh, and this is some of the stuff that I know from listening, there were like warehouses full of par- full of product that was never going to ship because of the deal they had with their publisher. They got paid the minute they made the thing versus the minute it sold. So they had warehouses full of stuff Weird. that's never going to sell because they were getting revenue from it. But at some point. They had to pull <laughs> – the, the rug got pulled out. But you should read the book, Slaying the Dragon, mm. A Secret History of Dungeons and Dragons by Ben Riggs. So what do you guys think so, of that?
1: Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Um, do, did they talk at, at all about like the creative process that they went through to actually come up with the ideas like mechanically or is it just kind of more on the business side?
0: It, uh, if, um, when Ben's did his presentations at Gen Con, it wasn't so much the creative process um, as yeah. the company – Understanding the D&D history, the company um, versus the creative process that went on. Though there are pieces in here. I I would assume that he talks a little bit about the culture of TSR um, because he does in in some of his – where the creatives were sort of – they could go off, just dream big ideas, throw stuff against the wall. And and a lot of the business managers weren't in their face saying, well – here is what the best product would be based on our demographics. Yeah. They they got a lot of freedom to do what they wanted to do, um, but the, the what's interesting though is they did not tell the creatives how much money they were making on different products.
2: <laughs> really? So
0: so people who were making a product had no idea how well it was doing in the market. So when they come up with new ideas. They could tailor it around. Yeah, people like this idea, or people don't like this idea, and that's actually yeah. in a later part of the book, to be honest. Mm. Um, so, huh. yeah, so it's interesting. You
1: piqued my interest ed- now. Like, I wouldn't think, think I'd be interested in it, but now I definitely want to uh, give it a read or listen
2: of um, it. I have read uh, Game Wizards by John Peterson, which is kind of the the tale of the formation of Dungeons and Dragons and the creation of Dungeons and Dragons and the, the feud between Gygax and Arneson and, and kind of all that stuff. This sounds like the the next step to that, to that uh, evolution. It sounds like it's the, it's kind of the next move after that period.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's a great, they're very complimentary. And, and Ben talks yeah. about how he really enjoyed that book as well. Um, so I think reading both of them would probably be uh, a good thing to do. Um we can't, you know, we can't lose sight of our history. Um and this book goes up to <laughs> when it was bought by Wizards of the Coast. Um sort of the rise and fall there but you know, it'd be great to have yeah. other other books that talk about cuz now we got the Rise and Fall of Wizard of the Coast and they're purchased by Hasbro yeah. and the creation yeah, yeah. process behind D&D 5e and I bet that would be a cool story the if fall somebody read like that. Yeah, that
1: would be interesting. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. So um, now it's time to get on with the main topic.
1: Mastering
0: James. Yeah. All right. We're doing the main topic. And who's going to run it this time? I think uh, we're going to throw that over to Eric to lead us through, oh, yes. through this this jaunty discussion of the selfish rogue. <laughs> I, I feel like this,
1: once people saw the title, everybody, you know, anybody who's played games long enough, had that kind of instinctive gut uh, memory action of dealing with somebody like this. Um, but yeah, I think the, let's start by defining what we, you know, what we actually mean when we say the selfish rogue. Um, and more in a broader sense, because it's not just the one thing. So I define it um, as a player character who acts in their own self-interest to the detriment of the party, which can normally be fine and should happen in normal play at times. But the caveat there is, while not expecting or accepting any type of consequences from the party, GM, or the game world uh, role-playing or, you know, outside of the uh, you know real life type of thing, um, I think... We see this a lot in video games, especially like our uh, massive online games. Uh, loot ninjas come to mind. Those are the loot people ninjas. that would always rush ahead and steal everything, yep. right? That's the kind of – but I think besides that kind of behavior of trying to get all the loot for themselves and not share it, I mean we see evil evil characters in a good party can fall into this trap. Not always. Uh, we'll talk later about how that can be done correctly, but it can definitely fall in the trap that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and um, or or like characters, you know, if there's a setup of like a character's a captain or any type of position of power and they kind of, you know, spend their time role playing out like belittling or abusing the PCs or if they're like a jailer versus jailees and then that role gets switched around and, and they, you know, take that as personally when the people try to role play mm-hmm. like, oh, we are upset with you because you did these things and they take that, you know, into real life that's also kind of in this uh how would you guys is that kind of what you guys think when i when you when you hear this or you have a different take on it i, I think uh, that's a good Carl.
0: take you know for me it's it just comes down to they got the main character syndrome right the world yeah. revolves yeah. around them they are the main character of everything and their actions are all for themselves um you know for their betterment and enjoyment and that enjoyment then takes away from other players' enjoyment. And if the other players don't react, they're taking away player agency from the other players because they have to just let this person, you know, do what they need to do for the better, you know, just to keep everybody getting along. But that, but that's exactly what you said, Eric. It's but I'm the main character. Everything revolves around me. I can do what I want. I can steal what I want. You know, and and there's no consequence to me because we all yeah. have to play nice. But I'm not playing nice. Yeah, Jane.
2: Yeah, did you that, throw anything uh, else on top of that? Uh, I think that hits an owl on the head. Yeah. It's it's the it's a player that really takes the the, the caveat of uh, you've got the freedom to do whatever you want. And so it's kind of like, well I will do whatever I want and what I want to do is is generally be an arsehole, uh, which is <laughs> which is a, a bit of a problem. It's that lone it's that lone wolf playing in a group thing that just happens yeah. every now and then. And it's a real issue where where their their personal backstory, their personal story is ultimate and runs often counter counter to a goal of the group or or the way that all the other players at the table want to be acting yeah
1: but yeah and like i think but again i think you can do that correctly and that can be an interesting dynamic i think where it goes beyond that is when they when they do that overtly and the players react negatively in character and they're like they use the excuse of this is just my character right and this is what they would do so why are you getting mad or why and it's like well we're not getting mad our characters are Getting mad, and we'll talk about that more. So, um, let's let's now move on to what are the main problems with this? Like, what does it do to the game, um, James? What, what do you what, what do you see as the main kind of problems with this?
2: Uh for me, there's there's a few of them. Uh, I mean, broadly, there's issues about just socially interacting well with other players at the table you know if we come to the game as a premise that we're here to have fun and we're here to have fun collectively and everyone's going to have a good time you know kind of when you have that self-centered character that uh that 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 just wants to to fulfill their own agendas may very well undermine what the group's trying to do it can be very frustrating to players at the table um just as much as it's frustrating to the characters at that table because yeah. ultimately it can disrupt a game terribly um you know the the group might be very much moving in a in a very du- big direction, and that one person will just kind of do an immediate U-turn or or throw the spanner in that works for what the players are trying to achieve, which can be a it can be a real a real issue. Uh, and in terms of character, it often leaves both the DM and and the other characters in the lurch, uh, exposes them to danger within the story that they weren't expecting. There are you know suddenly you're all getting booted out of town because all the guards are angry by that one guy that decided he. Going to firebomb the tavern because that's what his character would do. There's 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 issues narratively within the story, and then it, as you say, it it exposes the other characters to have to then react to this thing um, in a in a similar vein, which often just provokes all sides. So. Yeah, there's so many. I have so many problems with this one. Yeah, it's not funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, for me, I also believe that in a lot of ways it, it directly challenges a dungeon master. You know, the dungeon master kind of lays out a story and kind of here's the scenario. This is what we're doing. In a lot of ways, this this behaviour is almost like a direct challenge to to, to that, and the, and ergo to the dungeon master. It's a bit of like a well, yep, I understand what you're doing and what this story is. I don't really want to be part of that. So instead, I'm going to on the tavern. now what are you going to do? And, of course, it derails derails your preparation. You've got to suddenly think on the fly about, you know, what the guards will do and whether they're going to arrest everybody. And then that escalates because then the player says, well, I'll defend myself and kill that guard. And now all of a sudden you've got the whole story just gets blown up um, and it causes real problems for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 Carl, I, any other things on top well, of that? Well, I think yeah. – um, just to kind of put a point on it, I mean, the whole point of the game is a collaborative storytelling, a co- you know, a collaboration between the players, the game master, and everyone to tell an interesting story. And when you have somebody who's sort of got that, I'm the main character, you're no longer collaborating on a story. You're no longer working yeah. together to do something. You've got the people now, not even the characters, the people not enjoying themselves and not having a chance to express their creativity. This person just kind of takes over. And I I think that's James, as you express it, right? Part of them trying to take over the story is I'm firebombing the tavern, not, you know, recognizing that this is a collaborative, but I'm not going to be collaborative. I'm going to be a a dick and an individual who (laughs) wants to, you know, just do my thing. So and complain that it's my character that's making me do it, which we'll talk about that in a minute where that doesn't fly. But so what yeah. You- <laughs> and that's and that's yeah, that's definitely I mean like
1: everything you you guys said is totally spot on and it it really puts the onus like often on the party role playing wise to like pull up the slack because I'm going to make the argument now that it, you know, the whole excuse, well, we know it's ultimately selfish, like it doesn't even it doesn't make sense that it, it's not it, it doesn't hold any water at all, because, you know, these characters that are in an adventuring party, which is pretty merc, merc, uh, mercenary, right? They're usually very mercenary how it's structured, um, that if they're a competent adventurer and they would have to be if they're low level two, level three or whatever, you know, seasoned in Savage Worlds, whatever it is, um, they would know how to work well with others if they're in a group. They would know how to work with, with with others. So, part even if you're a complete scoundrel, asshole, uh, evil person, you know you're not gonna alienate the people that are, you know, either have your back. Fighting or that you're making money with, that you have this shared interest together, right? You're not going to alienate them. So ultimately, the, the excuse it just on its own doesn't even hold any water, anyways, because it's just the, you know, you, I, I would make the argument to the person, no, your character wouldn't do that because, you know, they've been living in this world, they've been operating, they, they would know that you can't just steal from your well, allies or your coworkers all the time and expect them to work with well, you. I'll and throw that's even what more, they ultimately expect more fuel on you, the fire. So, yeah.
0: This is uh-huh. all not real, people. You made this character, (laughs) right? So, yeah, of course. What my character would do, I mean, you're not allowed to say I was just following orders because you made this character. They're fake. You did it. Monsters don't exist. You know, they just, it's all made up. So, if you can't make up a character that fits the model like you're saying, Eric, which is, You want to be with these people and you want to collaborate with them and you want to, you know, make money and save the kingdom or whatever. Then You should be doing a character like that, you know, because that's what's required. I don't I don't even understand it. It's this whole it's my character does that. Well, you made the character.
1: Hello. But yeah, but, but yeah, exactly. Of course. It's like that's not an excuse. You made the choices to make it. But like, you know, what I keep bringing up and we'll talk about this at the end is that like Savage Worlds. Has flaws, right? I mean, has uh, hindrances that are often Mm. can be. I'm a pyro. I'm a kleptomaniac or a pyromaniac, right? That that can be a thing, but there's still, while you know, somebody who's playing it properly. I guess we'll save this for the end. I'll I'll cut myself off here. Um, So let's move on to how do we deal with this, and we'll start with how do we deal with these kind of players as game masters. Um, Or did you want to maybe give any examples first? I think we all have maybe a burning example in our hearts oh, the, and soul so let's start with you james what's, what's your top well, burning i heard you example have many that, <laughs> that's a hole in your soul but let's talk about
2: let's do the top the top we, one for you if we have many examples and look in some ways oh, my example is a little bit different in that it's uh it's not the backstabbing of the group and it's not burning down the tavern and it's not telling it telling the king to go and stuff himself and to kind of you know sabotage the story yeah i but I have a similar kind of problem in in a lot of in, in this and this is where I actually ended up. In, a, in an argument with its argument and it was a full-blown argument with a player of this was what my character would do and it went over two game sessions which was wow. it was getting ridiculous. Uh, I was playing Call of Cthulhu with a group of uh, a group of adventurers and the premise of the story is they were chasing some evil cultists into their safe house so the whole group there's a big chase sequence uh, the driver of the car who we will call Emilio uh, was going to be the last one out of the car so everyone else ran into the, the building uh, after these cultists and one by one i had to explain that they were being transported to another dimension so effectively the the building was a front as i walk through the door they get transported to another dimension the other players bought into it that's cool we're still chasing the cultists i don't know that i don't know that the guy that opened the door in front of me has gone to another dimension i disappear player two i disappear player three i disappear player four i disappear player five is emilio who parks the car and casually walks up to the door and says guys are you okay in there and gets no answer, and chooses not to go in the door. I'm like, are you going to follow the guy? I went, nope. I said, why? Well, I'm, something just feels off about this, and I don't think my character would do that. So I go, okay, all right. So what does Emilio do instead? Well, I sit in the car and I wait. Okay, sit in the car wait. Anyway. <laughs> Excellent. I'll cut to the other guys. And so I cut to the other guys, and I talked through what they experienced when they came out the other side of the dimension. 45 minutes later, Emilio, what are you doing? Well, I might wander and Look, look at a newspaper, okay? And I role-played with him a bit about watering a newspaper. And then I talked about what he had for dinner and then going home and feeding his cat and getting up in the morning and going to a cafe for breakfast and reading a novel. And I, and I was just, dude, are we going? Are we re-? And session two turns up. And are you going to investigate what's going on with this group? And in, interspersed with the group having awesome adventures. They're killing yeah. cultists and they're, they're having a great time. And we go back to Amelia. What are you up to? Well, today I think I I, I think my character needs a new pair of shoes. So I'm going to go. And I'm just like, what the hell, dude? What was in like, his head? It was just <laughs> absurd. He was just like, well, this is what my character was doing. He's, he's a bit of a coward. He's a bit risk adverse. And I'm like, sure, but you haven't heard from any one of your friends in two days now. Yeah. Are you calling the police? Nope. Why? Well, I just don't think... And so eventually, I mean, of course, you know, we'll talk about what happens with the solution, but this was the most absurd what my character could do because he literally kind of backed himself into a corner where he was actively not playing a game and it was just the strangest behaviour I've ever seen. But for me, it's an extreme version of, I don't really want to play what you're playing. I want to play something entirely different and I therefore want you to create something different for me. And in this instance, I just went, nope. (laughs) <laughs> the rest of the world is very boring, but that's my that's my extreme version of yeah, that's what my character is. That is did.
1: extremely bizarre, and that's a, that's a different twist. And I want to do a quick example uh, of, of something that happened to me that's also a twist on this, where it's not always, you know, this is what my character would do, but kind of in the same vein as what we're talking about. Uh, it, I was a player in a game. Um, it was set up to be that we would be in prison, and then we'd be kind of breaking out. And one of the players... Uh, was, I guess, he decided, talked with the GM and decided that he would be a jailer, but that would eventually, you know, the GM would work it out where they would join our group, right? Um, and so he, we started the game, and he play, He started playing as, the, as one of the jailers, but not being a sympathetic jailer of, you know, kind of not giving us anything to work with, you know, <laughs> taking my hat away, like being a at- jerk to us the whole time. Could and then, so yeah. w- when the situation flipped where... We were all free and he was with us and we were like well, we're going to put we're going to put like handcuffs on you and he was like no. And it's like we'll just put handcuffs on you for now and then we'll we'll decide later, you know, what we're going to do like we'll talk to you later. You know, kind of we're role playing it out, right? We're role playing what our characters would actually do after we've been mm. abused by this guy, uh, you know, a bunch of times. We wouldn't just instantly be like, "Oh, welcome to the group and let's all have a powwow and give each other back massages." You know what I mean? We would be distrustful of this person rightly so. But we we're still trying to be like You know, obviously being like, well, just for the small amount of time, you might be inconvenienced, but then we'll work it out. And he was just like, completely no. And it actually went down to us having, fighting each other. And we actually got into a fight. And then the fight was so much. And then he was getting killed and I was healing him. And he decided, well, I'm just going to try to kill this person's character. Like, he was not doing anything else besides trying to just kill me before he died at this point. So it was a complete. Exactly. It was a complete. (laughs) So, again, it's not like. I'm playing my character this way, but, like, he made decisions about, you know, role-playing, and then when we properly responded to those, even when being obvious that we weren't just going to keep him in this way, uh, he couldn't handle it and became, like, hurt himself or for whatever issues that brought up for this person. that They didn't leave us an out besides, you know, one of the other player characters being like, well, then I'm I'm just attacking you because you're not... We're not going to give in here, right? Like, we're not going to just give in. So, again, that's what I, what I mean when I talk about, like you know, not expecting any type of uh, yeah. consequences from what you do.
2: And, and, and in a similar vein of escalation, where, yeah. where suddenly everyone has to be in like this. In, in Emilio's, I just had to kind of continue to escalate this issue. There wasn't kind of, there's no release valve here where, they, where, yeah. where there's an there's acquiescence no to say, yeah. all right, okay, we'll get on <laughs> with the story now. It's like, we're going to dig in. Forever. <laughs> For some random weird reason. It's kind of, which I still don't understand. It's like, yep. How about you? For whatever Carl, reason.
1: So yeah, we do, we, we've encountered, we, we said these problem players. Uh, let's talk about how to deal with it. As a oh, game master, I'm sure
2: Carl's got his nightmare. Oh, bird. sorry. Carl, do you, you, you have gotta a burning his, you want to? you got to give oh, well, I, I, his, uh, right, I've right.
0: definitely had in modern games, people who've decided to, uh, like, I'm a sniper and everyone goes into the building and I'm just going to, I'll keep over sh- Overwatch well, there's, it's, they're in the building. I'll keep Overwatch. <laughs> yep. Okay, so you just stay there, and then the then the shit hits the fan, and it's like, well, I'm going to go and help them out. Well, you realize you're, like, 500 yards away. minutes away. <laughs> Five Five away, movement. yeah. You're going to be there in ten rounds. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. But, of course, I've had the same – what this whole – we didn't mention that, but the classic rogue who – runs everywhere and gets in trouble constantly in the dungeon. Now, I I make the mistake of running Dragonlance back in the day, and so these were, by definition, (laughs) Kender characters who who take the – you know, Kender's a great thing, Halfling, whatever, but they took that character to the extreme. And, you know, even in the books, right, he doesn't completely derail everything everybody's trying to do, but they took it to the extreme and, you know, basically Kender steal everything – Walk down every hallway, do Leroy Jenkins, um, and yeah. then go. Who me? Little me? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah. yeah, there yeah.
2: was a. There's a changeling, the dreaming archetype called a puka, which is similar, where they can't tell the truth. They, they their default setting is a lie, which is okay because you can kind of role play that. If you're effectively saying the opposite of what you mean when you're playing. But players that play that character, it's all it's Kenda Kendra syndrome causing causing chaos just because they
1: can yeah yeah all right well we definitely established now a wide variety of uh personal uh personal nightmares and in general so let's talk about as a game master what are the best ways that you deal with this um carl let's start with you again uh what
0: do you have any tips and tricks here well so the, the, the the most important one is there has to be I'll go back to that adult conversation, you know, a true <laughs> yep. conversation with the player. <laughs> let them understand what's going on. Let's assume that they're reasonable and they really just think that this is what their character should be. It sounds like in some cases that's not the case, um, but that's the place to start, right? It's, hey, you're disrupting, you're taking the other player's agency away. They have to attack you because they're forced to. And, you know, let's just play it out. And, and you know, just like... You can have flaws, and that's great, but reel it back a little bit. Um, the second thing, of course, is just let the consequences be what they be, right? And when that character dies, now you roll up a new character, and let's roll up a character that that is not what your character does.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am the brother seeking revenge for my guard friend that was ruthlessly killed by a bunch of prisoners. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's
0: from just that's the broad brush. You guys, what uh, what are some specific ones that you think you guys might uh, employ?
2: Um, Look, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of techniques that I employ, but there's also a couple of early warning signals or red flags that hopefully, as a games master, when you're dealing with it, it presents itself pretty pretty quickly. For me, there's a couple of there's two things really. The the first one is uh, it's it's called the social contract. for, for role-playing and there's a, a fantastic youtuber called seth skorkowski he's an any winning uh, uh, um, uh youtuber who who deals with call of cthulhu mainly but also a bit of dungeons and dragons and a bit of traveler as well he talks a lot about the social contract of role-playing where the dungeon master there's some contractual it's not really a contract but some contractual obligations to create a world that that's accepting to the players and to, you know, kind of be flexible and not railroady and things like that. The social contract for players is really an acceptance that you will play within the confines of the world that's being presented to you, and be a willing participant in the adventure that's presented to you, so that you don't you don't come at a game where your initial reaction is to buck whatever the the flow of that game is, you know, and that you, that you kind of align yourself with what you're going and, and I thoroughly recommend anyone who is dealing with some of these issues to check out Seth's um, uh, kind of take on this stuff. A lot of it is entirely about what Eric was talking about before. This is about a shared interest. This is about trying to establish a group's shared interest so that what whatever you're doing is broadly aligned with the way the group's going. It allows for a couple of things then. If you want to be particularly villainous, it means that the villainy and the betrayal can be bigger and more 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 kind of extraordinary as the story unfolds rather than just nitpicking bucking against the group over minor things as you travel. I think that's where the annoyance comes. A lot of how you deal with that shared interest is, of course, your session zero where you sit down with all the players beforehand and present this is the world, this is the theme, this is the idea of the group. Um, And I'm finding more and more as I'm bringing in new groups and and kind of encouraging new people to play, setting up those boundaries to say this is kind of what the group's agenda is going to be, therefore can please create a character that might fit that agenda. Um, So at least you're working in the same direction. And so then when you start to get characters in, there's some red flags you know a really overblown black backstory that has lots of vengeance motifs where you've been hard done by and you're really seeking for to 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 a a kind of a a lone wolf style kind of northman revenge story where, where it's all about vengeance and nothing about connection um and and these disruptive elements you know i have it's a Dungeons and Dragons thing, but I have a natural kind of reluctance to bring in the. But I'm chaotic neutral. I just do what I want to do and I just like chaos. I'm a little trickster kind of thing. Yeah, but how do you c- continue to, to move that story forward? So just have it looking at that first initial conversations when they're making a character is kind of the, the big trigger point for me.
0: Yeah, session 0 is yeah, a big I, they, one. I'm glad you brought that up. Um and I, when I met Eric's when I got Eric into my group originally for a uh cyberpunk game, that was one of the things in my description of the game, you guys all have to figure out why you're working together and are friends um ultimately and not at each other. Sorry Eric, I
1: got no, off for No, no, for a it's good. No, you guys are totally right. And like and you know, and as a GM obviously, setting it up in the narrative like you were saying, James, th- there's a reason why these people are together. I mean, make it compelling i I, i've been in games before where and it's not you know not really the gm's part i think it's a little bit of both where the gm didn't do do, it was he kind of left it where the player the player characters really had no reason to stay together and then and then but i i was still obviously as a player trying to come up with reasons that we would or whatever i was trying to help the gm out right um and the play, the, some of the other players weren't doing that, but it was so it was a little bit on the GM side there because it was really like, well, we just have no reason to stay together at this point. You can't just always expect you have to give them something, right? You have to give yes. them right, something. Right, right. So that's that's really important. And I know what Carl, like you said, of course, proper communication. I think we 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 will talk about that for most things, right? And I think that gets that gets left at the wayside a lot. People don't want to have these real kind of uncomfortable talks, but ultimately yeah. it's always going to be better. I think. Before going with proper communication, you know, I think before you kind of take somebody aside, you know, first in-game as a GM, you know, have those consequences first and see how they react. Because maybe, because like I said, there can be flawed characters that can do this properly. And if they respond to those consequences by saying, well, this shouldn't be happening, then you know this is when the time to take them apart. If they you know, play off of you with those consequences and maybe shift their character a bit, then you can say, okay, th- they've shifted, right? So I think it's good to maybe start with that and then also be very clear as a GM that there's going to be consequences for certain things. You know, like, yes. be like, well, this is... Or, and like, you know, uh, um, foreshadow things. If if somebody's going to do something, foreshadow them. Like, make it clear, and you could do it in character, in game, whatever, uh, that there is going to be consequences. So it's not just an overt, like, hard, you know, well... I'm coming down on you right away for this. Like because it's not people can change, right? And people will be adjusted.
0: You don't want to go take somebody to the well, side. Yeah, first. and so I think that's, that's I think I that's it. the assumption is so there's two kinds of these players, right? That we were talking about. There's folks that are habitual and that's just how they are. And then like yeah. you said, Eric, there's people who just don't recognize that they're maybe going a little too far afield. And you hint that well, you know, this could happen if that's happening or the other players are role playing that they're getting and that person then reels it in and says, "Oh, I'm overplaying this." Um, and you don't need to have those conversations and say, "Dude, you're just not getting it." They they're yeah. getting it in game. They're they're saying, "Oh, my character's growing." Through my understanding with the other players and what they're doing, so I, I think you hit it on the head for those. The habitual guy, uh, you you gotta hit him with a frying pan a little bit sometimes. So yeah, and then take uh, it yeah. take it outside of the actual end game and, because and, and that's a chat it. outside the game. Yeah. And,
2: are, and are they a good fit for the group at that point? If you've got a yeah. habitual kind of issue, then then that's a bit. of it. I really take your point on uh, on providing a warning. I, I find that I I give it. It's almost like a meta gaming warning in some way, yeah. saying, "Well, you are aware, of course, that the rules of this land I mean." If you go down this path, then some of the penalties could be capital punishment, you know, like that they, they the 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 realm's not gonna look kindly on this. Are you sure you want to go down this path? Is kind of I would offer that to a player, just to give them an out, you know, so yeah, that if yeah, they yeah. are if hmm. they are committing to it too much, you can kind of say, Well, you know, there, there are consequences of this. You here's your opportunity for a take back, yeah, you know, before yeah, yeah. we go down this path. I mean your character
0: knows that this is a bad thing. <laughs> So you're yeah, just reinforcing yeah. that and saying, hey, you do know that your character knows that this is how your things are going to go this. down, right? Yeah. So for sure. Um, cool. So um, let, let's look. The, flip- uh, the
2: other side, oh, the yeah. other one though, which is harder to, to, to deal with, and, and, and I find I have, I jump, have to jump in and du- du- directly adjudicate this all the time, is the whole, I've got good sleight of hand, I'm just going to steal that object back or I want that thing, so I'm going to take it <laughs> off another player. And oh, that, yeah. that causes all sorts of dramas in my, in my mind. And look, to be fair, again, I'm running kids' games, so there's always a rogue in the kids' game that someone else got the magic sword. It's like, well, I like that sword. I'm going to take that sword. Well, that's a whole other issue because if you do successfully take that sword, then the other guy says, well, you've got my sword. I want it back. And then it just causes this. It's a horrible childlike thing but i don't think it's limited to children i've seen it so many times with adults and it's like oh i want that thing i'm just going to steal that thing thinking there's no consequence and it invariably blows a group up so in those instances i go yeah no we're not going down that path today guys you're not stealing from each other we're just not doing it and and i and i and for me that's a not that's what my dungeon master would do i just don't want to play a game where people are stealing from each other and that's kind of that's where we'll leave it but um that seems very, very heavy handed, but in, in some ways I find it's the only way to get out of these situations sometimes. If, yeah. if you want, Just want a game a ruling, we're not doing this.
0: If you yep. want a game where you're messing with each other, then you probably should be playing vampire, right? If that's <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but like I, I think I think it's the you have to know
1: the game and the type of players that are in it. If you're in a a good like I feel like, James, in our in our group and Faye touched, like we could have a scene where one of the players does steal something from another player. But because like all of us understand we're telling it's a story we're accepting the consequences it's like it's a character growth moment we're not oh doing it over the time i think in that instance like you could do it right and we'll talk about that at the end more how you do it right but i think there is a yeah, caveat right. there of if you're at the level where you know the other players you know that they can work you know play off of this because it can be an interesting thing Something like that. It can be interesting. It's just often it's not right. Often it's fraught, and it's not an in-character thing. And people don't want to accept those role-playing consequences. Uh, very mm. cool. So now let's talk. Let's flip it. Uh, flip the coin here and talk about as a player, which obviously not as much as a GM, but there's still things that you can kind of. How do you act as a player when somebody mm. else is doing this? So uh, what do you think, James? How do you, how would you act as a player? How do you?
2: Yeah. Okay, again, again. well, there's three bits for me. Sorry, I, I always have mini lists for all my answers. I think about these Do things it. a lot. Uh, um, again, <laughs> we go back to the social contract. As a player, the social contract is I'm going to have fun. But I expand that a bit and think, well, not only am I going to have fun, but I want to make sure that every other player is having fun. And I don't believe that's actually the role of the dungeon master. I think as a player, you need to be aware of if people are having fun and having a good time, and particularly if they're not. So if things that I do cause people to not be seeming to be enjoying the game, for me, that's a trigger. But then there's a trigger for change my behaviour. So this is how you get out of it. But for someone else that is doing it and you're aware that someone's doing it, I often insert myself as that first kind of conciliation stopgap. If someone else is doing this as my character, I'll go, "Oh man, is everything all right? Are you sure? You know, so you seem to be a bit tense in the shoulders. Everything, you know. I just want to make sure you're cool before, because you're not really acting cool, man." And just kind of as a character insert as a conciliator. Um, because then, if if again, there's another player at the table offering an olive leaf, an olive branch, and that. And the, the selfish rogue is not taking that olive branch. Well, it's kind of just confirming that it's you're just being a dick. You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah uh, that if you can if you can offer that support a bit, um, as opposed to doing the full, I'm gonna double down on consequence. I'm gonna overall play by I'm the paladin and I'm furious and now I punch you. I'm just going, oh, you know, I'm the paladin and I care for you, man. Is, is everything all right? These things aren't this seems out of character for you. And try and offer offer again that release valve. And often I'll I'll lean right into the story with that to try and drag. Ah, oh, you know I I can I get the you know watching your father die and your mother and all your brothers and your four sisters and your mother-in-law, and then your children and your best friend all slaughtered <laughs> by the same guy. It must have been hard on you, but thankfully we're friends and we can get. A, you know you try and do that stuff yeah, to try and yeah yeah you, yep. That's what I try and do, but. I'm not well, sure if it works all Carl, the time, I'm well, going to say. Well,
0: I think you're, you know, I, I just to kind of, you're like really talking about, you know, classic psychology, right? Um, if you come at somebody hard, they dig their heels in and they become defensive. You're coming at them. I'm a friend. I'm here to help. What, what can I do to help you be a better person or, you know, be a better character? And I'm saying it in a way that's not confrontational because then they won't and that again is somebody who's not habitual and who just wants to be that way. Um that that's a great idea. I generally um I play when I play characters and you can see it it's like I got my thing and I'm That's my thing. And if you're, like, getting in my way, you're going to have the consequences. We're going to have words, and (laughs) that's just what – in character, we're going to have words. not Never player, because it's always like, you know, I don't care. I'll create a new character. I I really don't – if that's that important to you. Of um, course. But, you know, it's it's fine. Uh, But – In character, we are going to have words, and hopefully, we can role play those words out and come to an agreement. You know, the whole the whole we all battle each other, and at the end, we all have a beer together, and you say, you know, we're we're friends again because we got it out of our system.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And then James, oh, sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, and the hard part is the metagaming, though, uh, right? You know, the rogue who steals stuff and takes your sword. Yeah. And well, I shoved it in my backpack. You don't even know I have he doesn't even know i stole the sword he thought it was someone else i don't even know how to handle that that's that's completely on the game master's purview I, i'm not going to go well i'm going to dig through his backpack because we ha- that happens all the time too right another player goes yeah definitely. well i think he stole something i'm gonna still yeah. run through his, why would you do that well that's what my character would do no no now everybody's character is doing stuff that their character wouldn't do but
2: <laughs> so so for me that that theft from a player is pvp that's player versus player that's just as much as if you just decide to fight each other because yeah. it is pitting one set of skills against another and um and i, I try and you know i'll put it out in notes before you'll squash a game, it yeah but, but, I, but i'm not in, I'm but not gms don't always
1: squash it though mm-hmm. that's the thing so as a yeah. player you guys both made excellent excellent points i think first on top of you james yes i think the first time as a player when you're in these situations the first thing to go is always kind of that yes and right like be Kind of be invested. Don't let them just do it. Like still react. Like you said, yeah, don't take such a hard stance at first. And then if they persist, then I think you can take a little bit of a harder stance. Not like I'm going to punch you in the face, but like, you know, you talk to them later, be like, we, you know, we might have to leave you behind, man. Like you're really causing a lot of issues. I don't want to do this. Like we want to help you. Like like make, again, like the GM we talked about before, make it known, right? Like be obvious that there is consequences that they have no reason because they're playing their characters you're also playing your character and your character as a competent adventurer in a group would not keep somebody around that's becoming a hassle for them over and over and over again right like they just wouldn't do that so you can go right back them and be like you know this is how my character is and then in the case of like you said carl that's a very very good point point. and it's not always them stealing your item you know the the loot ninja Often, what I've seen is the rogue. We talked about this in the last thing with familiars, right? The rogue is kind of similar to the familiars, often where they're scouting ahead. Uh, they, they encounter a pile of treasure. They take all the treasure, you know. They come yeah. back, and people say, "Oh, did you find anything?" And they say, "No." And the person's like, "I'm going to do an insight check," you know. And then, or they're like, "I don't trust them because they were obviously that's metagaming, right?" Because they yep. they would have yeah. no idea that the rogue stole this. Maybe the GM can be like later on, be like, "We'll make a stealth check and oh, you, you guys." like hear the clanging of coin or something like they can kind of give those hints. Um, so that's a very good, like, yeah, Carl don't one thing to do not as a player is to fall into that trap of metagaming. Cause at, at that point, that's when you then talk to the GM separately and be like, I'm having an issue with them that they did this and they do this again, even though my character doesn't know I, me as a player is having an issue. And that's perfectly fine. Like that's when you as a player, you know, instead of metagaming it in character, take, you know, talk to the GM aside because it is an issue. Yeah. Right. Because because it is hard because metagaming is hard and we're probably going to have a whole episode about metagaming because it's one of those things where, you know, even if you don't want a metagame, it's just inevitable that it happens on some level. We can't get around it because we're not playing, you know, a computer game where right. we're locked out from each other. Right. The, we're it, we're all hearing it at the same time. So yeah, the jury cannot uh, even disregard
0: if, that question, no matter how yeah, much they want to so, say it. Uh, the jury is not going <laughs> to disregard the question.
1: Exactly. So with that rogue stealing stuff, you know, maybe your character, probably your character wouldn't know, but maybe your character would have a, an idea to know. You d- we don't actually know, because you know, because you heard it, it kind of puts it all into question. So that's when you kind of talk to the GM aside. Um,
2: any but other suggestions? But I'm not averse to, to talking to the player aside either, and, 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 and particularly adult games. Like I'm an adult, some, you know, I'm a grey-haired, yeah. wise and old man. Uh, it's not beyond me to kind of. Touch base with a player in between sessions. Go. I'm not sure what was going on between us in this game. It wasn't much fun, you know. If, if there was something I did, I apologise. And you know, I, I, again, consir- oh, I'm conciliatory yeah, yeah, yeah. outside of the game to try and resolve it. Um, and of course, if that, if all else fails, I'll chat with the DM. Go. I'm, I'm trying my best. Uh, the things aren't working here. In, in um, a, and and you know,
0: in a leadership, yeah, I, in classic leadership, and this is kind of business. There's the I statement, which you're kind of. It's like. When I see this, I feel you're not saying you're wrong. It's like yeah. I feel yeah. that this is the thing, and what I would like to see is X, and so it's a way of couching that um, in a way that's not confrontational. It's not like you're wrong. It's like I feel that I, I my treasure's being stolen, and I'd really like to have some of that treasure. And can we play that way? So anyway, I, I, may work, may not. But you know, human psychology in a game is no different than human psychology anywhere else. I think. No,
2: it's. I mean, it's just but a again, micro universe of it. Back to the session zero, you know, kind of make sure that that's all being set up well. we don't steal from each other. We steal from others and we share. It's kind of a. It's pretty.
0: <laughs> we kick yeah. in a door, door, we loot tool. and we kill. That's what we do. That's yeah, our job. So.
1: <laughs> I want to. I want to bounce off that for just a second, James. Where I do think, yeah, if, if you think there's a personal thing between two players, I'm also of the. I you know, I'm not always the one that like you know, I'll talk to that person or be like, or talk to me. Like, if I'm doing something, I prefer you talk to me if you think it's personal. Yeah, of course. But I, think, but I do think generally it's better to talk to the GM. I think, at least in my experience, when players hear something from another player, it's not the same as hearing it from a GM. I think that they, mm. they, people get more defensive when it's another player, even though the GM is not really in a, I mean, let's be, I guess the GM is in a place of authority, right? Is the authority figure in this, when we're in this Absolutely. realm. Does, not always, like, it depends, but generally they are kind of, so it's, I think it is easier for them to, it's like when you're in, a, like, if you're in a store, right, and you see a customer doing something bad, and you'd be like, "What? Well, you shouldn't do that, or that's not good to do. They're going to take that a lot harder from you than if you told an employee and that employee said something to them, right? It's just, it's just a different, uh, people just react to those things differently. So I think if you have a personal thing, yeah, but I think generally, I think you're safer to go, that's just my opinion, you're safer to go to the GM, um,
2: Always the last resort for me. Yeah. Okay. But, all all, right. uh, that's just me. A different, a different thing. A different, different way to
1: thing. play. All man. right. Uh, cool. And now, now in the very end of this, let's talk about how you can play as maybe a selfish character or as an evil character. Um, so I, I'm going to start yeah. just with this one. Uh, yeah. Because uh, I think I think first playing characters with a major flaw is actually a, can be a good thing. It can be very rewarding, um, as long as you're you know as long as you're flexible with. Again, uh, this flaw is, you know, flaws don't o- are always there. You shouldn't overuse your flaws because people are adaptable. Uh, people will react differently in certain situations. That's just how we are, right? We're not the same when we talk to our grandparents as how we are, how we talk to our friends, right? We are adaptable. We have to be. Social creatures have to be adaptable. So, you know, somebody who has this flaw is not going to just overdo it with somebody they're relying on, like we talked about it before. So, you know, pick and choose. When you do it and don't always trigger them, even in Savage Worlds, if you have bloodthirsty, right, where you want to you kill people if somebody's not around, that's not always going to trigger. And you shouldn't always trigger it. You shouldn't always be murdering somebody because just because you took them prisoner. Right. Like it's something that you want to select the right moments for the right narrative beats for. So pick and choose Uh, evil people like an evil person who's has an agenda that's hidden. Right. They are not, the rule with that is you never are evil to other players. Like if this is a lawful evil or just a smart evil, like an evil wizard, that's smart, right? They're not going to ever be evil to players. They'll be evil to other people. Uh, Mm. when, When the players aren't around, they'll be evil to other people, but kind of, hide it in a way when other players are around but they will never be directly evil to the players because they are pawns in their scheme, right? They're using them as a resource. That's how they they look at things. So, I think we get hung up often on um alignments and things like 5E. And like I said, alignments are mostly BS, right? I I look at alignments as sometimes my character is chaotic good, sometimes they're neutral good, sometimes they're chaotic yep. neutral, right? Depending on the situation. So, be flexible with that. And um and then, again, it's always good to, like, if you want to have a scene where you maybe steal something or your character has a really big issue with another character, I think it's a good thing to maybe talk to that person aside and be like, this is something that I kind of want to do. Like, are you cool with that? Like, I my character, you know, I there's not something that I'm going to do permanently, but I kind of see my character having this issue or that, you know, that they, they whatever the sword that you found, like, they were just completely adoring it. Like, do you, do you want to do a scene where I kind of take it and you react to that? Like... I think it's perfectly fine to have those kind of things, but you should always clear it with the other player first if it's appropriate. Yes. So those those are my main points. Um, uh, James, do you have any other kind of points that you would go?
2: I I love I love evil. Uh, no, um, <laughs> uh, I look evil. The temptation of evil and the temptation of the individual power. As it grows, particularly in Dungeons and Dragons, but it can happen in Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu is dealt with a little bit different because you have sanity that that runs out. But the temptation of evil being presented with with power or or, or some kind of advancement to the detriment of everyone else around you is a theme that I love using, and I use it in almost all of my games as a dungeon master. That you know, I, I will tempt the warlock. I'll attempt the hexblood. I will tempt the the kind of the the rogue with with here is the dubious morality decision and are we walking down this path of of evil I, it, it will be to the the doer destroying the the one ring no actually i won't i'll keep it that kind of grand evil turning gesture but there's a couple of things that i always make sure that it's it's well appreciated when you become purely evil self-centered evil you're a non-player character at that yeah. point, you—it's you, like forget it. You, you're not playing this guy anymore. So the last confrontation between the evil guy and the rest of the player group, the player's not playing that guy. Like I'll take it as an NPC. You might be playing a hireling or another friend or or the father or whatever, but you won't be playing the grand PvP against the group. Yeah. So for me, that's 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 the big caveat that I'll try and explain to people. But I do love watching players delving into the evil side of things curse of strad is a fantastic game for that In curse of strad in fifth edition dungeons and dragons you are tempted by the evil spirits of amber and they give you a dark gift but with that dark gift comes evil tendencies and i watched my last group that went through curse of strad three out of the five players went i'm up for that and we had to role play what the other two would feel like being watching their friends be tempted by darkness after they've gone for so long fighting against darkness. Um, the other way that I use is off-screen evil. So if you are playing an evil character, not the fool, I'm going to betray the whole group and be the, the big chaos force, is role-playing the, again, this is metagaming a little bit, but having the betrayal happen away from the, the eyes of the other players and away from repercussions from the other yeah. players. And so a lot of that's a discussion between the player and the dungeon master, not necessarily role played out. So you come back to the tavern and find that the tavern uh, keeper and their family has been, been murdered. And as the storyteller, I know that it's actually one of the players. We've spoken that that's what they're going to do. But we're building the mystery narratively. We're not kind of doing it overtly in front of everyone almost to rub their faces. It becomes part of the game, becomes part of that story. But, um, you know, treat it with absolute caution is, is the general rule. And don't overdo it, you know. Um, being the bad guy all the time is very, very tiring for every other player. My my thoughts, but that's how I generally run selfish and evil players, characters. I must admit, I don't think I've ever played one. I, it's just not my vibe. I like being the good guy. It's far more fun, but that's just me. Carl, how about you? Well, I, I think
0: um, I don't generally play bad guys, but so let me, so let me re, um, I guess, uh, reframe it in the sense of that black and white that Eric was talking about. It's like, I'm this or I'm that. And the that is I'm always causing problems, I'm always stealing, I'm always whatever, but yeah, it, people have goals, right? Your character has a goal, and whether you're an evil person or not, that goal is to do something. And every decision you make generally moves towards that goal. And if the decision, let's, let's say I like to play shooters, right? And I like to play guys who would rather shoot you than look at you. But if every situation is I shoot my gun, I'm not getting to my goal. And me shooting my gun when I shouldn't be shooting, it's going to cause players problems. They go, why are you shooting your gun at the cops? This is crazy. Well, I'm not going to do that because every decision I make has to get me towards my goal. Evil player, the exact same thing, right? You're not going to kill, kill every puppy you come up to or every kitten you come up to because you want the person who owns the kitten to think you're a nice person and bring you in so you can have something to eat and that gets you to the next stage. You just got to think those decisions. And I think... In fantasy, and you know, uh, we're playing a game where we get to be someone else. To someone else isn't always doing the bad thing just for the sake of doing the bad thing. You got a goal, right? And that should be part of that session zero discussion: what motivates your player character? Where are they going? What do they want? And if killing the barkeep off-screen gets them closer to the goal, great. If it's just because I want to kill the barkeep. And eh, maybe not so much, right? Um, so that's how I look at it. Nothing's black and white. Everything I do moves yeah. towards a goal. And if I do make some mistake and I shoot up something I shouldn't and it's because it's thematically, like you said, Eric, the right thing to do, yeah, there'll be consequences, mm. right? In savage Worlds, I get a But Benny roll and, with the consequences. And, and we, yeah. we role play it out. And we're doing it in good faith. That's the other side of it, right? We're all role playing in good faith. Yeah. We all want to have the same story and have enjoyment where, you know, we're not a bad faith actor, which the uh, sneaky rogue and the guy who wants to play his character is ultimately trying to do. Um,
2: so do you think there is a place for the chaotic evil as a player character? Because chaotic evil won't think of consequences like whatever I feel like doing at the time. Yeah. I'm chaotic. It's all about chaos. I'm just going to exert murder. And I'm the joker. You know what I mean? I'm just going to... It's nonsense. I mean, can that be done as a player? I don't think so,
1: but that's why I think alignments are BS. Like, and and most games have gotten rid of alignments because of that. Like... Uh, 5e's kind of held on to it like ghoulishly well, um, but it's well, a
2: description but think of that yeah. premise think of the, the joker character the the psychopath that doesn't have the, no because they
1: would never be the, in the group to the first place like they, they can't just be that you can't just be that one dimensional I think people go to chaotic neutral and go to chaotic evil and play them very one dimensionally I think again you can do it you can have a chaotic evil side to you where you are you know you just want to kill people sometimes because you're a psychopath and you love murder but You know, psychopaths are still not just going to do it where they just, you know, the the ones that are bad at doing that will end up in jail or get killed. So for your character to be where they are, they have to be just they have to be a more than just catech evil. They have to be more than just completely acting on their own urges at all times because then they wouldn't be in the party as it were. You know, they wouldn't be in whatever army, whatever it is. Right. So I, I don't think. I think it's just a very one-dimensional look at it. I think you can play as that as part of your character, but it can't be your whole character because it, it doesn't function right. Because that's why everybody should be against. That's why everything.
0: everybody should play true neutral. That's that's the right place to be. <laughs> I, so
1: we have a little bit more time. I want to just throw this in there, just real quick. So I, it's not quite in the selfish part, but playing an evil game, uh, running an evil game. Sorry. Yes. Um. Let's talk a little bit about that. So I, I played in a couple evil games. I think the best way as a GM. The most important thing is have a overwhelming existential threat that just constantly can keep them in line. That is the most important thing. Have something <laughs> that is The boss you know, with the Suicide Squad. Inevitable. Man. Yeah, inevitable. There's a bomb in your head. Uh, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite game settings of all time is Savage Worlds uh, Necessary Evil, which is a superhero game where you eyes, uh, aliens have evaded Earth, have killed off all the heroes – and only the supervillains are left. And you guys are the ones fighting, the, trying to free the earth because they're trying to kill everybody. And it's just, it's, it's, am- it's so fun to play as a supervillain, which, you know, again, doesn't have to be completely evil, which is kind of, but, but to have that, like, that thing keeping you in line of, we, there's a, there's a bigger, batter guy who's our commander and he's, we're trying to fight these aliens. So that's my one tip. I haven't had a lot of experience with it, but I think that is the most important thing. James, do you have a, have you ever done an evil game? or? Uh-
2: yeah, I've done evil games. They yeah. they can be really fun. Uh, you know, the marauding horde of orcs and goblins and bugbears that kind of you know descend upon a village because they've got something very specific that they've got to achieve. Uh, I think writing one, you've got to have a goal that isn't just mayhem and murder and destruction. That's the first one. Yeah. The second one is, and it sounds a bit counterintuitive, but that's actually where I put in my, uh, my lines and veils a lot more and my and my checklist, my kind of the trigger checklist that I often use for games. Oh, yeah. Because even though you're playing evil, as a player and as a dungeon master, I still have real issues with torture, and I still have actual real issues with with harm to children. So, yeah. setting those boundaries about yes, we're evil, but there's still stuff that we're going to do off camera, or so there's stuff that we just don't. We're not going to touch yeah. anyway. <laughs> you know, so even though we're role playing evil, people still don't particularly like role playing sexual violence, for example. So let's, but there's still going to be some lines. So as long as you've got those lines in place, you've got group still going for a goal. The backstabbing and the kicking of the goblin is still pretty damn fun. It's good. It's good to let to let it loose. It's kind of fun. Carl, have you well, have what, you ever played
0: an evil game, Carl? Well, One what's interesting is how you how you guys talked about it. I have not played a true evil game because I've played games like you guys were talking about. Because a true evil game. Yeah. There is no goal other than the mayhem and you know, they're going to be in fighting and stabbing each other back to become a head. Eric, you mentioned there's this one person keeping him in line. Well, now they're no longer black and white. They have a nuance to them because they're all trying to share the same goal. And that's why they're together. Mm. Goblin yeah. hordes. They're not backstabbing each other because they have a common goal and that's where they're going for. So the, the, that's, there's a lot of people who have talked about evil games over. If you're truly playing an evil game, it will descend into nothing because Chaos, there's balance. nothing yeah. off the table. Um, between well, evil,
1: the law, order. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's lawful evil, right? I mean, so there's a, they make a distinction of it's not always chaos necessarily. I mean, yeah. and evil is subjective, right, too. But obviously, if you're going around murdering people, if that's your thing, or you're trying to, you're trying to take over a country and kill, kill off and, you know, slave or whatever, like there's certainly evil things that we can agree on as a culture. Um, but yeah, I, I get your point, bet- girl.
2: We did attempt it as kids. Like, I think I was about 12, and me and our friends, let's play evil guys. It gets boring pretty quick. Oh, yeah. before you're doing oh, yeah. is chaos and killing everything inside. It's actually, yeah. it's just, it, the, the novelty wears off pretty fast.
0: And that's why people hey, cool, don't. I think. That's why, like Eric, you said, it's a great setting and it, it's enjoyable to do. Just the generic, I'm playing an evil character, it doesn't last long because it's not fulfilling right I mean... well again, remember I think, I
1: think the trick was with as a player now we'll, we'll t- let's just touch on this before you go you know when you're playing evil when, when you're in acting, right you're playing an evil person, they don't think of themselves as evil like mm-hmm. i think I think the problem with evilness and selfishness and all of this comes down to is one dimensional characters is that people just turn it down to one trait and that's what they play off of, and there's no history behind it. It's like you can be a kleptomaniac, why is this character a kleptomaniac and then once you i think that's that's maybe to go back to playing as a player like this, is have your flaw, but have a reason for your flaw. Because once you build that out as why you have that flaw, then you will play it more organically. You, then you will you will be able to react to people more appropriately. So again, you know, evil is subjective, but people generally people who are, you know, they don't ever consider themselves as evil. They consider themselves maybe the hero, and other people are evil, or it's mm. a means to an end because of some other certain reason. So it's, yeah, when you condense is, evil down to that, that one true. dimension, then... Of course, it goes to chaos, but you can have multi dimensions being evil.
2: And I should say, and Carl touched on this game also. There, there, there are games out there that are fantastic at doing this. Uh, vampire: The Masquerade is is, the, oh, is yeah. the big one. Yeah. But there's Demon: The Fallen. There's there's uh, there's Wraith: The Oblivion, where a, a lot dark. of is- the content within within that game is evil. If you you can play a Sabbat vampire. Which are all about chaos and and destruction, and they have no humanity at all. They look at the they look at the world through a very different lens of right and wrong. Yeah, it's about loyalty to the sect, not at all about the humanity of of, of being nice to other people. Um, and there are, and but in those games again, lots of consent boundaries that you have to play with. Um, and but they they're also kind of pretty bleak places to play in as well. I I issue a word of caution to, you know, being (laughs) role playing that stuff for too long. It messes with your mind after a while. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That is not my jam vampire. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, that, uh, that, thank you, Eric. That's a great discussion. I think. Um, I personally actually learned a few things that I did not know um, or or I hadn't thought about, so I appreciate uh, what you guys offered up. Um, Hopefully everyone tuning in uh, enjoyed as well and learned something. Uh, Remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com, see the projects we're working on, uh, learn about everybody, and um, if you have questions, comments, want to have us uh, talk about something, game master at masteringtheRPG.com. uh if you like the show um, please please subscribe we're on apple uh, google and spotify uh, so any catcher of your choice and of course as all podcasters do we beg you to give us a high review and um, hopefully uh, you if you if there's some things you'd like us to change or you got some ideas hey send us an email and we'll see where we go with that we're new to this We're only a few episodes in, really, and uh, we got a long way to go. So thank you, everybody, again. Um, Thank you, Eric and James. We'll say good night to you guys. Happy gaming. Good night to you guys.